Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, everybody, welcome back again to the epic narrative. This is episode two of season three. We are in the book of Exodus. If you remember last episode, (laughs) we left them like this. Pharaoh had decided to deal with the Hebrews, and in essence, this nation that is within his nation, he decided to react out of pride, arrogance, fear, uh, all those things are tied in together, right? He, and, and, and basically start to work these people in exchange for their privilege of staying in Egypt. And this became a, a slow and steady uh, evaluation. Uh, Evacuation? That's not what I want to say, Bob. What do I want to say? Elimination of freedom. Thank you very much. It became a slow and steady elimination of their freedoms. One thing after another. First, they had to, they had to come to recognize, they had to be re-educated that it wasn't, it wasn't the Hebrews that allowed the, the Egyptians to survive the famine and ultimately thrive in the, in the world. It was the Egyptians that had allowed the Hebrews to stay in Egypt and live and survive, but that if they hadn't allowed them into the country, now granted they did so because of Joseph and all the amazing things that he did, but Joseph is dead and all of his relatives are dead. So they had re-educated, reframed, redefined the history and had basically flipped the tables. They flipped the script on the Hebrews. So the purpose for all these new policies and new mandates was basically population control. Not just in the in the area of we don't want you to have as many children, although they were hopeful that by extracting a labor tax on all of the young men, uh, forcing them to help the Egyptians rebuild their country after the famine, which had occurred. Uh, I mean, the the downfall of these cities and the and the uh, lack of maintenance on the buildings was because in in Joseph's plan, remember, he had moved uh, city to city to city. They moved all the people of Egypt from one storehouse to another. The only people that weren't moving around were his relatives who stayed in the Delta and took care of all of the livestock that had been acquired from all the nations around them in exchange for food, which was part of the way that Joseph had completely redefined and redeveloped the government of Egypt from a place of communal uh, rulership of, of 10 governors to just one all-powerful pharaoh. We covered that last episode, just another little little reminder. And I remind you of it because I do think it plays, um, yeah, it definitely plays, uh, it plays into the, the rest of the story. It really does. And you'll see, you'll see. And some of you have already put together the pieces because you know the story very well. And, uh, you know, those of us who have seen the movie already see that there's issues with the movie, but <clears throat> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So the way it goes. All right. Uh, where are we? Oh, so, uh, yeah, population control, not just control of the babies being born, but they also wanted to control the ability of uh, the Hebrews to gain wealth through extracting uh, taxes and uh, starting to restrict their movement, not allowing them to go in and out of the country without uh, permission, not allowing them interaction with foreign merchants. E- Egyptians always had to be present whenever trade deals were going down now. They had to be part of all of the exchanges. Uh, they were able to uh, override any deals that the Hebrews had made. So the Hebrews you know, had, had worked out an exchange rate, so to speak, for the cows or the goats or the sheep or, or whatever. And the Egyptian um, monitor, right, the monitoration uh, of, of the Hebrews, they could monitor that deal and then they could, they could make a better deal uh, by making it worse for the Hebrews. So the, the Egyptians could say, well, that's a good deal, but let's do this. And they would make the Hebrews give up even more. So they cut into their into their finances, into their wealth. They cut into their travel. They cut into their relationships. Uh, and 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 their hope was the babies would stop flowing. That the nation of the Hebrews would stop 
growing. So that's where we walk into uh, verse 11. It says, so they put slave masters over them and oppressed them with, with forced labor. And they built uh, these cities of Pitom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. Uh, so so their, their next move, because basically what was happening wasn't, wasn't working. And again, this, these, these decisions, these political changes, these um, increases in the, in the lack of freedom, these sort of things occurred and, and the changes didn't happen overnight. It takes months. It takes months to get something you know, through Congress. <laughs> well, that's here in, in our, quote, democratic uh, uh, country. Actually, it's a republic, sorry. Um, but in, in Egypt, you know, the lack of uh, informational flow a lot of it had to come through observation. Are they having more babies? Are they not having more babies? Are they working hard enough? Are they building these cities? And they did, you know, they were helping with this and helping with that. It's like everything's everything's going along as you planned, Pharaoh. And then the, the data would start coming back. Well, they are having more babies and they're still making money and they're still growing uh, as a nation. Well, we got to do more. Well, let's put, let's put, uh, Slave masters, task masters, people who will make sure that they're doing what we told them to do. Because their only explanation was maybe they're not working as hard as we think they are. Maybe they're not not doing the things that we told them to do. And this is where it becomes uh, interesting, right? When when you live in a world that's free. There's a lot less uh, observation uh, requirements of uh, those those who have made the requirement. Not observation requirements. What do I want to say? There's just a lot less control, right? When you're free, you may be doing something for someone. You may be asked to do something, but they're not going to follow up. They're just going to see if it's happening. But here, it's like, okay, clearly, we need to make sure they're doing their work. So they put together this whole new governmental department <laughs> called uh, slave masters they hired a big uh, government um uh what do i want to say stimulus program to bring employment to 100% across the country <laughs> everybody's trying to get their lives back together after the horrible famine and we're going to the pharaoh has uh, in his wisdom has put together a new uh a new employment strategy uh, we're going to give we're going to you know hire a, a hundred and or 80 you know 87,000 slave masters and they're going to oversee the work of the Hebrews and it says that they oppressed them with forced labor and they built these cities for Pharaoh now these pharaohs they the, the Pharaoh right has been growing in power and he's building cities when you talk about that in in the middle of the desert like were people did people need the cities no no, he built the cities for his honor, right? He built the city so that people would look up to him. He wanted people to move into these cities because he'd make them safe. And he, and in essence, again, control the people. See, for me, when I read this, I don't necessarily see Pharaoh as somebody who was only trying to control the Hebrews. He's also trying to control his own people. He's looking around at at the Egyptians, and they've all moved all around the country over the you know over the last seven years as they've avoided the famine. They've they've left a lot of things behind. He doesn't want them continuing to move around. He wants them to be contained within cities. Cities allow control. They allow observation. They allow easy domination by the government. When you got a bunch of nomads, you know, by the thousands living out in the desert, if you want to control people, man, you you got to put together this massive force. You've got to run horses and camels out there. You've got to, and then they, you know, and then the people scatter. Where do they go? Well, now we all we're chasing fifteen people over the over the desert uh, mounds and into crevices and into slot canyons and caves and you know it just becomes this that it just becomes a mess. Cities are far more. Um, attractive when you want a government who controls then you want people in cities and of course it's because of the the government's like oh it's because of the benefits 
And I'm sure Pharaoh, you know, had a whole PR campaign that was like, listen, to avoid famine in the future, we want to make sure that our, you know, we're, we're going to continue to use the storehouses that, that, well, they wouldn't say Joseph because they didn't want people to remember Joseph. So they would say, you know, we're going to continue to use this, the storehouses that are in place. We're going to bring the food in. We're going to store it there. You come every week. We will pour out gracious amounts of food that's available to you because of the, the beautiful, amazing, uh, generous Pharaoh that we have, yada, yada, yada. That's what I imagine. Now, I know it's probably not true, but <laughs> I'm just... Okay, maybe it's a little tongue-in-cheek because I know that's what governments do all the time in this Western world. So I'm just I'm just making a little, maybe just a little overreach on my uh, cultural um, cultural adaptation. Yeah, there you go. That's a word. We'll just throw that out. I don't know if it fits, but we'll use it. Uh, verse twelve. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multitude multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick, in mortar, and in all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. All right, so the Egyptians want compliance. They want uh, hard and fast boundaries. They bring threats, fear, pain, loss of, of freedom. So why did the Hebrews comply? Why did they give in to all this? Why did they just keep bowing their heads, so to speak, and, and letting the, the new slave masters have control? Well, one of the reasons, I think, is because change is just really hard. It's hard. People don't like it. They put up with amazing things. And we, we have a long history of this world to go through and, and observe this. Compliance just seems like it's it's your life's going to be easier if I just live through this. If we just, you know, I, 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 <laughs> in our own recent history, right, it was everybody just stay at home for two weeks and we'll be through this. That was, that was the original... Um, COVID restriction. Everybody just, we're just going to stop everything for two weeks and everything will be fine. Now, granted, there's all kinds of ways to go about this now. I'm not going to go into all the COVID stuff, but that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of thing that everybody was like, all right, fine. Pretty much a hundred percent of people in our country was like, all right, fine. Two weeks, we won't do anything. We'll all take a two week vacation. We'll go home. We'll do some home improvement projects. Everything will be fine. Compliance happens because change is hard. And they still, you know, the Hebrews are looking around going, hey, listen, I still have a place to live. I still have food to eat. It's, uh, yeah, I'm tired because I'm working really hard, but I'll be okay. And it keeps the peace, right? Keeping the peace is easier than war. People die at war. People get hurt. Families are, you know, experience loss. Houses are, are, are damaged. Like we don't, we don't need to go through all this. Let's just keep working hard. There was also a lack of, of leadership to rebel. The elders, the leaders, the people who took over when the, son, when the relatives of Joseph were all dead, they, they get, garnered favor with Pharaoh through compliance. So they encouraged it. The building of, of cities takes lots of time. That's what, another thing I want to pick up in these verses. Uh, well, specifically, even in verse 11, right? I know I've, theoretically we need to move on to verse 12. But in verse 11, they, they built these cities. These things don't happen in two, three weeks. These things take years to put together. So we've got years of compliance, years of which people are getting used to life without as much freedom as their grandparents had or their parents had. They're getting used to it. It's like, fine, all right, I'll pay my dues. I'll work for Egypt for whatever number of years or whatever number of hours each week. But in the end, listen, I've got, I've still got my family. I've still got a place to live. I've got a place to call my own. And where else are we going to go? We don't have any country to go back to. We don't have like this, we, we don't have a, a, a ruling family that can tell us what to do. We don't have an army to rebel. 
we'll just like let's just let's just stay in our lane. Let's just do what we're told. But in verse 12, we say, despite all of this, they multiplied and spread. The multiplication continues. And for the Egyptians, they were like grieved. It says that they, <laughs> it says uh, it spread. The Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and they worked them ruthlessly in verse 13. So they, they look at this continuation of birth and, the, and all of this. And it says that they were, uh, some versions say grieved. This one here says um, they, they came to dread these Israelites. Why? Because babies were always considered favor from the gods. Didn't matter what god you believed in, babies, children were always considered favor. So if you're if you're an Egyptian and you're desperately trying to do what you believe the gods have told you to do, because again, all of this is you know backed up by whatever it is they believe. We'll call it theologically, and yet yet you look around and. Everything you're trying to do, control the people and keep their birth rates down, isn't working. Then you start to think your gods got it wrong. Your leaders got it wrong. So Pharaoh, when he's looking at this and he's getting the data back and the status back, and again, Hebrews aren't his only problem, right? He's got a nation of problems to worry about. He's got a political um, undercurrents. Because there's a whole group of families, nine other other families that used to govern the country along with the, quote, Pharaoh. And now all those families are in far less favor and far less power than they were 15, 20 years ago. And now they've, you know, he's got this undercurrent of families that want to regain power and authority around the, around the country. So he's got all kinds of stuff to worry about. And, and then... The, the reports from the Hebrews just keep coming back. They're still having babies. You cannot believe. They have multiple. Now, again, multiple multiple child families was not the norm in Egypt. Most, most culturally in Egypt, most people didn't have more than a couple children. So the Hebrews are having five, six, seven. You know, in Joseph's case, his father had a dozen. And... And this is, this is bothersome to the Egyptians because not only is it different than them, but it's also from their perspective is like, but clearly the gods favor them. We're trying to keep them from having babies and they keep having more. And they couldn't accept that the Hebrews would have more favor with the gods than they would because they considered themselves a, a superior race to the Hebrews, because they have, you know, the Egyptians are like, we have a country. We have an army. We worship the gods. We keep them all happy. What is the, what is the deal? How is this other nation that doesn't even have land of its own anywhere in the world that came all the way over from the, from Babylon, how are they getting favor from the gods? How does that happen? So in verse 13, when it says that they they treated them uh, ruthlessly, they worked them ruthlessly, it means like without breaks, seven days a week, no kindness. They would try to take, take a break and they would be beat physically. They tried to, to beat them spiritually. Now, I think a fair question to ask at this point is, was this what God predicted? Were, were, the, were the Israelites predestined by God to go through this? Because if you remember, right, didn't, didn't God show Abraham in a dream that his descendants would go to, the, go to Egypt and there they would be enslaved for 400 years? And if he showed it to Abraham, was this the teaching of the Levites, who also were not uh, enslaved, right? They were considered, they were the religious leaders of this nation. So uh, Pharaoh didn't mess with the Levites or the elders. They, they were the spiritual leaders. Were they not recounting this to the people? Did they not, you know, when, when they decided to comply 
did the spiritual leaders of, of the Hebrews stand up and say, listen, you know, this was actually, God actually said we're supposed to go through this. God actually says that we are supposed to be compliant slaves in Egypt for 400 years. We can only, we can only hope and pray that the 400 years will be kind to us, that we will still somehow survive. And they've heard this. People are starting to hear this, I think, because of the compliance. I, I, just, I just think they did. I think for years, hundreds of years, they heard that they were supposed to be in Egypt, that they were supposed to be enslaved. And I'm sure that at this time, when things started to get ruthless, the, you know, the Levites are like, let's pray that our time here started you know when when Abraham moved in, not when the you know not when the slave masters were put over us, because that was probably a hundred years or more into the four hundred year period of being in Egypt. So they were like, "Let's just pray, let's just pray, let's just comply, let's keep our head down." And whenever slavery occurs, there's usually always an element of religious leaders who want you to comply with the loss of freedom. And yet every time you study love, and i.e. God, God is love, anytime you look at love, love releases freedom. Love increases freedom. When you love somebody, they should feel more free to explore and to be all that they were designed to be. And that's what God does for us. But here we're seeing oppression, compliance, so I, I, have, I have to answer this in my head. What's, what happened? And if you remember way back in season two, and we have to go way back because Abraham was, my goodness, that was in the front end of, well, no, uh, that was in the middle. Was that the middle? How many episodes? We did like 60-something episodes on Genesis. It was crazy. Anyway, somewhere in there, uh, Abraham has this dark dream, and he sees this oppression, right? And and we have to, uh, I, I have to, I said then, and I'll say now, do I think this was a predetermined uh, behavior and location and uh, culture that the Israelites had to go through in order to be the, the children of God? And my, my stern answer would be, Absolutely not. And I know that that is a radical answer because I know of many amazing theologians who would argue, they wouldn't even argue, they would dismiss me out of her, out of turn. They probably wouldn't even want to discuss it with me. But I don't think God predetermines slavery and death and, and here in a few verses, infanticide to have to occur to a group of people in order for them to somehow be, be, you know, trial by fire to become worthy to be his children. That to me is not a loving God. I don't care how mysterious he is and how his ways are not our ways. That is not appropriate in any way. So why did God predict it? My answer is the same as it was back in season two, which is God saw what would happen or I shouldn't say saw, sorry. Let's retract that. God saw the possibility of what would happen if the, if the descendants of Abraham went to Egypt and stayed there. He understands human nature better than anyone, even better than the enemy who understands it incredibly well. He understands the heart of people to, to get compliant because change is hard. He understands that people would rather be comfortable than be at war. He understands that. He understands it because he understands us. He created us. And he says, listen, if, if they go down, this is what could happen. And it would take 400 years before somebody's finally willing to answer my call to free them. And I worded that specifically, so pay attention. He's like, we need, you know, I think he was warning Egypt, listen, you need to tell them not to do this. Now, whether or not Abraham did, we have no record. I understand that. Or maybe Abraham 
saw that dream and saw what was going to, you know, what God was predicting could happen. And he said, well, I guess I'll just throw my hands up and let happen. You know, I'm not going to stand in the way of what people want to do. I don't want to force people to make certain decisions. I, you know, these are, these are things that for me are fun to talk about and to debate. But what I I can't debate, well, I, I can debate it, but what I can't live with is a God who said, yeah, yeah, I, I predicted that there'd be 400 years of slavery, of people being beaten and killed, because, you know, they needed to go through some things in order to prove that they were worthy to be my children. No, can't do it. I can't, I don't buy that for a minute. So it says that he made them, uh, verse 14, he made their lives bitter, harsh labor, brick and mortar, all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labors, the Egyptians worked, worked them ruthlessly, without breaks, without days off. And again, it wasn't just bricks and mortar. They worked in the fields. They worked um, They worked in hard labor. In other words, they, they did everything. They were, ultimately, this is how they moved into a slave nation in order to stay in Egypt because they had nowhere else to go. They had no leader that would that was willing to take on the Egyptians in order to stay in Egypt, in order to keep their houses, in order to, in order to stay alive, they complied. I mean, it's, it's, it's happens honestly to all of us. On smaller scales, a lot of us have done this because in order to stay alive, we have stayed at jobs in which we are slowly dying. We have stayed in churches in which we are completely dead inside. We, we don't like being there. But changing things is hard. We've stayed in relationships that are toxic and in essence make us slaves. And we've said, I'm going to stay here because changing is just hard. I, I mean, there's a lot of things we can apply this to. But we're here to tell the story. If you want me to preach, contact me for speaking engagements on my website. All right. Sorry. Verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose, whose names were Shipporah and Pu, Pu... I can't say it. Pua. Actually, I have a feeling they both sound really pretty if you say them correctly. He says, listen, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth and the delivery on the delivery stool, if you see the baby as a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Then they let the boys live. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egypt women, Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God, God was kind to the midwives and the people, and he increased, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families and of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. All right, there's, there's again, there's a lot there. Let's just start out with this. Hate always leads to murder. Jesus makes that clear. If you're not if you're not loving someone, your logical end would be to kill them. Now I understand all of us don't go around killing people that we don't like. Because we understand that life has value and we use self-discipline and we use what we call character, good moral character to not go around killing people. But hate will lead to murder, and often government will use murder as a way to continue the, the realm of fear and control and pain and loss. Now, sacrificing babies is not new in Egypt. It's been done before the Hebrews alive, you know, arrived. It'll be done after the, the Hebrews arrive, uh, uh, have left. Sorry, arrived. You can't say arrived both times, Bob. So killing babies basically is a way that government says, I'm going to take out the next generation, especially when it comes to the boys. If I take out all the boys... The girls can be assimilated. They can be absorbed into our culture. They can become slaves. They can become um, 
um, uh, concubines. They can become uh, nursemaids. Like we, we can use women. Again, a horrible, horrible mindset when it comes to the what God had created women to be. Women are are equal in value from God's perspective. There's no second rate anything when it comes to women. But by the time this occurs, and we talked about it again in season two, like even the way um, Jacob treated his wives and 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 the concubines he had, like there's just there's just this mental attitude that says women are used for this. We talked about it in season one when we talked about the way David used the women around him. There's just, it's a horrible fall that occurred from what God designed to be. It's its just, uh, sorry, it's a pet peeve of mine. And unfortunately, it, well, not unfortunately, the reason it's a pet peeve is because as a male and a preacher slash pastor, I've heard so many sermons in which this obvious thing is ignored or glossed over or somehow excused because of what Eve did in the garden, which is another just crock full of poo. And for more of that, listen to season two. So killing babies is nothing new, and and the desire to remove the male babies means we can wipe out an entire generation. Now, in, in an idol culture, in a place that doesn't worship a loving God who loves people and doesn't kill people, then killing, uh, that you know, killing babies is is not the norm. And God's trying to create that culture in the Hebrew people to be an example to the rest of the world and to, in essence, spread throughout the world to change the culture of the world into the culture of heaven. So, you know, the idols, they're all happy about it. The, the demons that empower those idols, they're all happy about it. Why? Because the enemy's all about killing, stealing, and destroying. Now, the, de- the demons, the idols, they would have known that there was some sort of deliverer coming someday from the Hebrews or for the Hebrews. They knew that because that's what had been told to Abraham. They also knew that, hey, if we, if we can get Pharaoh to a place where he's killing all the male babies, then the, you know, it'll be even longer before the, the deliverer is born. And, of course, we get to also obtain more death. And death just empowers the enemy. It empowers him. He is, he is ruthlessly empowered through death. Uh, anyway, so they love death. God doesn't, doesn't cause death. And this all fits nicely into the enemy's plan. Kill everybody, wipe out every image of God on earth, and we win. We tried it at the flood, didn't happen. We're going to continue pushing this agenda. The plan of death can never be the plan of God. God would never require, predict, or predestine, I don't believe, any people to go through this especially as some sort of payment to get to the promised land. So in verse 15, right, the, the king of Egypt says to the midwives, and he gives the, you know, their names, and, he, and, and many of the oracles say that these were sisters, or a mother and a, and a, and a, and a daughter, and that they were both connected, uh, related to Moses. Now, if Jochebed and Miriam were the midwives. And again, those aren't the names that are given here. Those are the, these names are given as secondary names that were actually, you know, according to the oracles and oral traditions connected to the names of Jochebed and Miriam. But if they were the midwives and it was the mother and sister of Moses, it would explain, help explain how Moses was able to be hid for three months without anybody knowing that he was even born. Because these midwives would have been around infants and babies all the time. And so it would not have been unusual for them, for the taskmasters, for the slave masters, for the uh, Egyptian observers, to see a midwife walking around with an infant in their arms or a crying baby in their arms. It's one of those little details that if you're telling the story and, and, and you don't know this, you kind of wonder, how did she keep a baby quiet for three months? How did she do that? Why, you know, 
Why did no one notice? Did she wrap him up in some sort of cloth underneath her, her tunic and, and, you know, constantly breastfeed him so he wouldn't cry? And what about the burping and the pooping? And, and how does all this stay secret? Yada, yada, yada. But if this is true, if she was a midwife, then it wouldn't be as difficult. So that's why I throw that out there. I'm not saying it's absolutely true. I'm just saying there is a stream of information that seems to go that direction. So uh, verse, verse uh, where are we? Verse 15, he's like, uh, when you're there, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let him live. Verse 16, I'm sorry, that's that's what, what he says. And uh, the midwives, however, what feared God and didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to do, uh, they let the boys live. Why did they do this? When it says they feared God, they respected God, they they honored God over Pharaoh because they knew God does not kill. The midwives followed God's character, God's goodness. They knew about God and they didn't do what they were asked to do by Pharaoh. There's a lot of people who claim to love God, but would commit murder in the name of regulations because they think, well, I'm just doing what I'm told. Now, this is a hard thing to, to skate around because not everybody agrees on the character of God, and I know that. I know that there are many people, even some who listen to me and have listened to me for years now, still believe that God kills. And so it becomes even more of a quandary if God kills and you're told to kill, but then you're you're thinking, well, I don't want to kill that person or whatever. Like, I don't believe God kills. And I believe that is what the, the midwives are honoring here. They're saying, listen, we're going to do what we know God would do, which is not kill babies. Not kill anyone, but not kill babies specifically in this case. So, so they follow after God, and you reap what you sow. So they honor God, and, and God is able to open up, well, not God, but they open up an avenue of blessing that flows to them. And we see those blessings in verse 20. But as, as we'll, we'll just work our way there. But So the, these two could not be the only midwives around, but probably they were ones who oversaw the midwives. So some knew uh, knew of uh, oh yeah so some they they they're explaining to sorry let me read the verses wow Bob that's that's a horrible podcast right there I know I know I'm I'm out of sync here the midwives however feared God did not do what the king had told them to do and so they let the boys live then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them why have you done this why have you let the boys live the midwives explained to Pharaoh the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women they are vigorous and give birth before we get there so he. This has to be several years, right? He's, again, the data is, is being gathered. Several years after making this edict, there's lots of little boys running around. By the time they're old enough to run around, that's when Egypt starts to get the number. Wait a minute, there, there are a lot of boys. Did we, I thought we were killing all the Are we not supposed to be killing all the boys? All the boys should be dead. How are we seeing all these little baby boys, young, young toddlers running around? How is this possible? And they bring the information to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, well, let's, you know, pull the pull those midwives back in here. I need to ask them a question. And, and Pharaoh needs answers. And basically, they kind of, you know, throw some shade there on the Egyptian women. Well, you know, Hebrew women are just more vigorous. And they might have even thrown that shade on them because, because the, the Hebrew women were now doing all the work that the Egyptian women used to do. Egyptian women are getting used to a life of, of luxury, a life of leisure because of all the slaves that were available to them. And they're able to sit around and say, hey, go take care of that. Go take care of this. Would you make this? Would you cut that up? Would you put that over there? And they're getting lazy. And this is, this is what's being implied. They're saying, listen, Egyptian women are lazy. They don't do anything. Hebrew women do all the work. And because of that, we're just stronger. So when they want to, they just give birth, just and they're done. Now, now that's pretty funny, right? But another way of interpreting this 
is that Hebrew women know as much as we do when it says uh, that they are vigorous. They know as much. They are experts. We don't need to be there to deliver babies. So they take care of themselves. They take care of it themselves. They call us when they're all done. We just go by and conf- you know and take a look at things. But but it's all done when we get there. So the things we take care of are the things that can only be seen and taken care of by somebody who's looking versus the mom, you know, herself. And then it says that you know because of their res- their honor of God's character and of his principles, blessings are flowing out on them. Now I know it says God did this for them. But that's just a recognition of where blessings flow from. For he is a giver of good gifts, and of all good things come from above. So goodness flows to them, and they're giving God credit. It says that that the you know the midwives and the people increased became more numerous, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And and that word families can also mean houses. That literally they got houses and they got more children. And so they not only are midwives, but they're pregnant all the time. So the family lines are connected. The family lines continue to be expanded. The lines of the Levites and the lines of, and of course, in the lines of David. It's all possible that all of these lines came through the midwives that honored God in a moment of crisis, in a moment of slavery and fear, in a moment of death where it was, the answer to all of Pharaoh's problem was kill the babies. Now I don't I don't know you know where you're at, but I've I've literally heard politicians in our country say the same thing that the answer to our economic woes is to kill all the babies. That if people would just kill the babies, everybody would have more more money. Like I'm not saying that they were popular politicians, but there are people who believe this who say it out loud on microphones. You know, on social media and in, uh, you know, in rallies and and, uh, whatever, they say it and there's no negative recourse. So there's people who agree. It's it's a fascinatingly down, a fascinating downward spiral of logic that fear and hate come from. And that's where it leads. It always leads to murder. A lack of love will always lead to murder. It's crazy. So verse 22, uh, it says, Then Pharaoh gave the order to all his people, Every Hebrew that is born to you, you must throw in the Nile, but every girl you can let live. So obsessed is Pharaoh at this point. So obsessed is he with the fact that that some sort of savior of the Hebrews is coming through a male birth, that he orders all male babies drowned. And the way that this is written in the original, it could mean also Egyptian male babies. Like, like it's such a powerful, intense language that he literally could be saying, every male has to die. Like there's, I can't keep... I can't keep track. I tried just killing off the Hebrew men, but I can't. We tried it. They're too tricky. So now everybody needs to get involved. Every male. If you see a male baby, toddler, anything, toss them in the river. Let the crocodiles eat them. Sacrifice them to the to the god of the Nile. It's insane what the enemy will do to destroy the image of God on earth. The enemy always wants death. He didn't care if it was Jews, Egyptians, you, me, it doesn't matter. But especially children. All through time, the death of children is a traumatizing thing. It's something that, that, that marks a nation. And here, the Egyptian narrative is marked. There's a time in which the leader of the Egyptians says, Every male baby must die. So traumatizing children and torturing children is always a favorite of the enemy because it stops the kingdom from going to the next generation. 
It destroys hope. It destroys innocence. Love. Purpose. Destiny. It takes all those things. It just wipes it out. Because when you see children, even if they're obnoxious at some level, you start to chuckle and think, well, that's not the way, you know, I would take care of that or whatever. But internally, it's their children. And, and at some level, you're like, but they're valuable. They're innocent. If I could have a relationship with them, I think I could, I think I could really help them. I think I could bring them purpose and destiny. I think I could bring them joy. They bring joy to life. And you talk to just about any grandparent I've ever met. I mean, I brag about it. I mean, at the time of this recording, I have 10 grandchildren. I love telling people about it. Even people that don't really ask me. So how many kids do you have? Oh, I have four children, but I have 10 grandchildren. There's something about the next generation that propels a mindset of hope that the enemy hates and he desperately wants to destroy. There are so many cults, so many cults that you could go through that destroy the innocence of children. And they do it on purpose. They do it in the name of whatever it is they're worshiping in order to gain power, in order to gain uh, youth, uh, sometimes youth, right? There are, there are entire cults that literally bleed children to death in order to be young or maintain their, their, their personal, selfish youthfulness. And it's because children in their minds are, are the closest thing to the image of God on earth because of the innocence. I mean, innocence is something that is attractive 100% of the time. Why is it, well, yeah, why is it uh, that so many of the fashion shows that you go to, the women are made up to look like innocent children? The women are, uh, the men are made to look way younger than they really are. Because the younger you can look, the more innocent you become in people's perception. And it's sick and twisted what people will do to, to children, but they, they do it because the enemy loves to destroy the image of God on earth. And I believe children are the closest thing that represent it because they're not jaded by life yet. And so this whole scenario, which killing the babies is the answer to Pharaoh's problem, all starts from a culture that says, I need to have control. I need to create fear. I need to contain people because freedom is scary. They might join the enemy, uh, you know, the, the enemy of my nation and, and overrun us. I can't have it's 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 selfishness and pride. It's a, it's a horrible place to live. And this is the culture, this is the culture in which we start chapter three. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will be the next episode of the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, there you go. Second episode done. And I have a few thoughts. One, I totally forgot to tell you guys why. If you give through the giving link and it says Revive the Way, I told you Revive the Way is a gathering place for people who are starting or are currently hosting a house church but really need community, need training, would like some support. And I offer that along with many others who are part of Revive the Way. Uh, but none of us get paid. But anyways, it is a nonprofit organization, and the giving portal that they opened up for us is is a hundred percent for for us. It uh, it none of the money goes to revive the way. So I really appreciate uh, revive the way. I appreciate I appreciate them making that available. Uh, so if you want to support what revive the way is doing, honestly, that'd be awesome. But it also is going to go to support our the, this podcast and and the message that it gets out that God has been good throughout time. 
Now, today, in today's episode, we talked a lot about the culture of death and control. And that is two of the main principles of the, of the government of men. Freedom and, and uh, life are two of the main principles of the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of men, control and death, kingdom of heaven, life and freedom. Now, there's some very, honestly, we could go through history and talk about the culture of death. I think right now it probably hits most in the area of abortion, and and there's just no way around it. And as far as I'm concerned, it is a culture that says death. Even, like, there used to be a debate, well, when when does life just start? Does it start at the heartbeat? Does it start at conception? Now, flat-out political platforms and, and entire states have voted. You can kill a baby up to uh, one, uh, one month. Some are now proposing you can choose to ch- kill your child after a full year of life. You can choose to put the, put the child down and abort it. I, it's, it's bizarre. To me, that's a culture of death. And, and uh, control, I mean, come on. Do we have to go much further than what they what, what was like? Uh, just just perpetrated so quickly and without reservation when it came to COVID. There was just absolute desire for control, and now we got financial controls and health controls and, uh, you know, all kinds of safety, it, it, all in the name of safety, all in the name of convenience. I mean, it's honestly, I couldn't believe how relevant – the life of the Israelites and the and and Egypt and our current life, uh, it's it just goes it coincides. It really does. I think you're going to find the study of Exodus to be incredibly relevant with today's world. I don't care about your political review views. Uh, uh, I really don't. For me, if you approach problem solving through the idea of death and control, you're dealing with the kingdom of man. There is a better way. There is. I'm. I'm not going to turn this into a, like I said, a debate as to how to handle it. But there's a better way. There's a better way. There's life and freedom. Life and freedom. These are the the stalwarts. These are principles of love. Principles of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we need to be problem solving with. Creativity, hope filled, peaceable, freedom loving, life giving, problem solving principles. That's what we need to be going after. Those are my thoughts today. But once again, if you if you can give to support this this uh, this podcast, it'd be awesome. Click the link. If not, uh, if you don't get it there, you can get it on my website, thebobswitzer.com. If not there, go to my Facebook page, which is public. You can you can catch it there. Check out Bob Thoughts on Facebook. If you want to hear more thoughts about all kinds of stuff, they go 10 to 15 minutes long. Have yourself a great day, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.